I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting, now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Demore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. In this episode, we talk about what to do when kids don't listen. Advice for three-nagers to teenagers. What can I tell you? So much uncertainty in the air. Man, it is unsettling. It is hard to feel like you can find your feet. You know, I just, it got me thinking, like, what can I control when everything feels out of my control, right? And it's like my home base, right? What can I control in my home base, Lisa? I call it my two-foot world. I'm like, let me just see if I can manage my two-foot world. Oh, that, that's that's often where I'm going when the headlines have me just um, dizzy, dizzy feeling. Yeah, but I feel like the kids, are they're so perceptive. They, they pick up on it. And sometimes I'm hearing from a lot of parents, like kids are just acting out. It's hard to kind of rein in. There's a lot of frustration with school, whether remote or back in, masks, you know, the whole thing. And we got this letter from this mom, you know, talking about kids in chaos. And this mom says here, hi, Lisa, we're really struggling with our young children, four and six, listening to us. It sounds silly because they're so young, but my husband and I are both at a breaking point. Luckily, our marriage is doing well, but we feel like we're at war with our daughters. We try not to yell at them, but even when we yell, it has no impact. They seem to feel no remorse and there's no difference in their behavior. We try taking things away from them, no play dates, no screen time, but that also has no impact. Over the summer, we were together all the time, and my husband and I worked full-time while they played together. We were hoping things would get better once they were back in school, four days a week in person, but there hasn't been much improvement. We try to reward them when they listen, use positive reinforcement, but to no avail. We try separating them because they get wild, 
And when they're together, they completely ignore us. But that's difficult to do and doesn't help much. We try talking to them about how sad, upset, and frustrated we are. But they don't seem to care. In a future podcast episode, can you please discuss strategies to use to get through to them? They're having issues with listening to their teachers at school as well. And we know we need to do something. We just are out of ideas and are suffering. Thank you. Oh, this does not sound fun at all. It doesn't sound fun at all, but I feel like this is so reflective of what so many parents are going through right now in this moment. It's really hard. It's hard. And and um, the girls go to school four days a week, which is, you know, a departure from the summer when they were home all the time. But the other thing is, like, we're together all the time. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of a plus minus, you know, that there may be aspects of that that are really nice for family togetherness. But there also may be, and I do wonder about this, this sense of we don't have to be sort of uh, going out of our way to to enjoy this time together because it's constant and unrelenting and in some ways boring. You know, it's funny as I as I think about um, one of the explanations we have for why kids bully in the middle school is that um, they're bored, that they're just stirring it really? up for the sake of stirring it up. And And there's a little part of me that wonders if that's a little bit at what's play here with this, you know, long stretch of time where we have had such a narrowed experience is if these little girls are like, uh, what should we do? I don't know. Uh, let's just start stuff, you know, yeah. as a way to manage yeah. um, some of the um, the monotony. That's a word I've been hearing from families a lot this yeah. week is this sense of the monotony of the pandemic. The monotony. That's such a great word. Where do you start with something? Like, how do you, it just feels like the train has completely gone off the tracks <laughs> for so many parents, right? How do you get that big train to come back on the tracks and and just go in one direction, just not off the tracks, right? Yeah. So, okay. So my advice on this, I stand by it. I know it's the right advice. It's going to feel hard to implement right now. And I know that. So let's, I'm going to lay it out and then let's think about what that might mean in real time under pandemic conditions. So especially with younger kids, this sort of six and under age the most powerful lever a parent has is their attention. By and large, what four to six-year-olds or six and unders want is our focus. They want us. They want us to be turned towards them and sending energy their way. And what we have to remember is yelling at them is attention. Having long conversations about how upset you are with them is attention. That it is not for kids as aversive as we think when we're angry with them if what they are seeking is attention because they were looking for attention. They like attention. Do they generally prefer positive attention to negative attention? Yes. But a lot of kids under six six and under, they'll take what they can get. And so we have to start with that framing, that our attention is the most powerful lever and we want to use that lever really carefully. So if they're doing this negative behavior, right, how do you not pay attention, but you still want to address the problem, right? Right, right. Okay, so here's how I want parents of, you know, sort of six and under to think about their, how they themselves operate. And this could even apply to older kids, too. What I want parents to think of themselves as having are two distinct states. One is the warm, friendly, showering, 
kind attention on your kids' state, enjoying them, finding them funny, coming up with fun things to do, having a good time with them state. And the other state that I want parents to have is what I call (laughs) robo-parent, which is (laughs) basically think of yourself as a robot, and the only thing that robot does in a very neutral tone is issue instructions for the return of the warm, glowing human. And that it it works with little kids for parents to think of themselves toggling between, hey, we're having a great time, you're right on track, you're doing all the right things, and oh, you've fallen off track, here, you know, the, the bright light of the warm, glowing human clicks off, here comes the robot saying, when you settle down, we can have fun again. And the child, you know, escalates or does, you know, kind of keeps messing around, keeps being out of, out of line. And you say, when you, when you settle down, we can have fun again. And that robot has a very steady, repeated, but um, disengaged, no warmth, no heat, no light in it, instruction issuing capacity that then helps kids. They, they start to figure this robot out. And there's things we can do to help them along with that where they realize oh, until I do what the robot says, I don't get any real energy from my parent. I don't get the warm, glowing attention or any attention, really. Okay, what you're saying is really hard. For some reason, I am picturing Rosie the robot from the Jetsons. (gasps) That's what comes to mind. And repeating a phrase over and over again. So you're saying you've got to be robotic. Don't show anger. Don't show warmth. But tell them when you get it together, we can have a better relationship like how i would be really concrete i would say something like you know when you knock it off which knock it off is already not that neutral you know when you when you settle down we can get the crayons out when you settle down we can get the crayons out i mean that you keep it really simple come up with one very concrete thing and say it part of what really helps and what i would advise this family to do is to let kids know that there's going to be a change in the weather, right? So that this is a family that, understandably, when their kids are misbehaving, they're really engaged with them and having conversations and getting mad. So the first thing I would say to this family is to alert their daughter, say, look, we're going to do it differently. When you guys are misbehaving, we are not going to engage. We're just going to tell you what you need to do in order for us to engage. So part of how you help kids start to figure out the robot is letting them know that you're moving into that Um way of doing things. And then, of course, what they'll do is they'll test, right? They'll start to misbehave. And then the parent has to stick to their guns and say, you know, when you settle down, we can go back to making banana bread. When you settle down, we can go back to, you know, we can go outside and play. But doing that repeatedly. What's interesting, I'm hearing you say almost that having a good relationship where with your kids where there are fun things that you're doing and it's exciting and great to be around mom and dad like that can also be used as a as a tool to fight back right hey we're not we're yes. not going to we're not going to be doing this right that's right and and the way that it's actually the positive stuff the good stuff that it's fun when mom's not mad at you right i mean that that is actually where the real heart of this sits, which is when I'm on track, when I as a kid am doing what I'm supposed to be doing, we have a really good time. And the way the way I want parents to think about this is the fun they are having with their kid, the joyful relationship, the pleasure of being together. That is money in the bank. Mm. And you write your disciplinary checks against that account. 
So what I want this family to get to is a place where their girls are thinking, okay, mom and dad are super fun when yeah. we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. Are we willing to risk that mm-hmm. and get to the really boring robot that just says stuff over and over until we get back on track? You know, it's so interesting because I'm thinking of the parents who I really admire, whose kids are, are in high school and they still kind of want to hang out. They enjoy doing family things. And I'm thinking because the parents have gone out of their way to find things that are engaging and fun. And I'm looking at the age of this mom. Her kids are four and six, which is such a fun age where they actually want to be around you and do crafts and movie night. And um, that building that, you know, the parents doing the work of finding those moments that the kids want to have more of, that that can also be used as a tool for discipline. It's huge. It's I huge. I never thought of that. And, and even thinking about my older daughter, who's a really well-behaved kiddo and not somebody who I generally worry is going to do mm-hmm. things I don't want her to do. But I remember when she was in the ninth grade, she got out of finals early um, on a Friday. And she texted me and she said, I'm done. Any chance you're free? Oh. And of course I had all this stuff I wanted to do on Friday afternoon. But I was like, hmm, she just finished finals. She just finished her first semester of ninth grade. And I said, yeah, I am. I'll come get you. Let's go out and celebrate. And we went to a little coffee shop. And and I remember when I was driving over to pick her up, I was thinking, this is me putting money in the bank. Like, this is my ninth grader wanting to hang out with me. I can make it happen. We can go, you know, get treats at a coffee shop. And I really don't worry about my kid throwing parties when we're out of town. Like, it's not that kind of thing. But that's part of how you prevent it is to have that sense of, I really like being with my family. I like the times we spend together. I don't want to jeopardize that by making them mad. I always believe, and you've helped me see this, that it's never too late to sort of turn things around with parenting, right? If you have a teenager, Lisa, and let's say you haven't sort of been building these fun times, you're working rear end off, you you know, there's a lot of other things that factor in, right? Can you, at the age of teenagers, turn things around? Like, how do you get buy-in? Does this sort of extend to them? It does. It actually does in that when I have dealt with some of the most, you know, by teenagers, we call it like delinquency, you know, like when the kid is really out of line. Strangely, what I was trained to do and what I have found works really well clinically is that when you're dealing with a really delinquent teenager, a teenager who is rude, awful, out of line all the time, usually, you know, and they've usually been punished with, you know, a lot and it hasn't made it better. Usually the pivot we make is to say to the parent, is there any shard of a positive relationship here? Can you, you know, if it's a girl, like, you know, does she like going and getting her nails done with you? Can you guys go do that? And it seems so counterintuitive that you would do what feels like functionally rewarding to a kid who's been, you know, pretty awful. But it's that idea of like, you've got no money in the bank. Like, it does not hurt the kid at all to make you mad. There's no cost because... You're having no fun at all. So to try to find and build those joyful things, which, of course, right now is a lot harder. There's so much less available by way of fun. So, I mean, in the midst of COVID, given that there really is so little fun things that you can take kids out to do, what can you do in that place? Right. Okay. So if we're trying to put money in the bank in the context of a pandemic... You know, I I think I'm watching families come up with some pretty sweet things, you know, whether it's like a movie night or making a picnic in the living room to watch a movie together while eating, Mm -hmm. you know, special food that they ordered or made 
or finding ways to bake with kids. I mean, younger kids often really enjoy getting to cook in the kitchen with their parents or making things that they think are fun. Um, We've got Halloween coming up and a lot of kids, you know, I hope kids can do Halloween this year. I hope Mm -hmm. communities figure that out. You know, whether it's you say like, hey, let's 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 just like go bananas this year on decorating the house for Halloween, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. But what it requires is for the parents to creatively meet the kids where they are, you know, to to figure out really what is exciting for the kid, which as a parent, you know, one of the things I was very grateful when I had very young children, one of my friends said to me, here's the thing about really little kids. Parenting them can be very boring. You know, what they want to do <laughs> is not what you want to do. And I was like, yeah. oh, thank you for just saying it. So it may be a lot of go fish. It may be, you know, stuff that you're like, really? Like in the monotony of the pandemic, I need to play go fish 20 times. <laughs> but if it puts money in the bank, do it. That's that's important. Um, It might be hard to do, but it'll make a difference in the end. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herbed squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. We spend a lot of time teaching our kids please and thank you. But one thing I've realized I haven't spent a lot of time teaching my children is how to be financially responsible. We started using the Greenlight app and it's made a difference in helping them have that conversation about money and to really understand how it can affect their lives. Greenlight's a debit card and a money app that's made for families. I can send money to my kids, keep an eye on their spending and their savings. I didn't think I would need this app, but my kids are absolutely loving it and they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa. EarthBreeze EcoSheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. 
Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. What if sort of that robot mode doesn't work, right? You're in the middle yeah. of being a robot and it's not working. What do you do at that point? So, you know, it, it sounds great in theory, yeah. but, um, you know, it may be that you're saying, you know, when you settle down, we can go back to making banana bread. When you settle down, we can go back to making banana bread. And they're just continuing to ratchet up, ratchet up. So I believe that it's okay for parents to get mad at their kids. I, you know, obviously you can't do anything that's out of line or frightening or, you know, physical, but mad, angry mad is okay by me as a psychologist. Really? Yeah. And the reason for that is at the end of the day, we use our homes to show kids how the world works. And if you're being a complete turkey, people will get mad at you. And and I don't think it's good to give kids the impression otherwise. So what I would say is in that robot state, if it's not working, then I think the parent can say, I sound calm. I'm actually getting mad. And if you can't pull it together, I probably will get mad Mm. at you. And to give a little warning, because something I noticed in my parenting between my first and second kid Mm -hmm. is that with my first kid, I'd be like, okay, I need you to stop. I need you to stop. And then be like, ah, (laughs) I finally lose my mind. (laughs) So familiar. (laughs) And it felt unfair. It felt unfair because, you know, there had been no warning. And so um, the modifications you make um, as you get to sort of take a second pass at it, I figured out with my younger daughter when she was, you know, a toddler, I would say, look, I sound calm. I'm not feeling that way anymore. If this keeps up, I'm going to be really mad. And then, you know, I And you find that works by giving them a heads up? Yeah. It's coming. (laughs) It's coming. Okay. It usually worked. I don't know that once I learned to start giving warnings, I don't know that I ever had to get there. And, And so that was good. And, you know, by the time I got there, I would just... If I did, I would just be like, all right, you're done in your room. Yeah. I'm not dealing with this. But I don't like getting there. Um, nobody likes getting there. And what's cool about the robot, I mean, I don't want to oversell it, but it does really work, is if you're consistent with it, kids will first test it to see if you really are going to not inter- interact with them. Mm-hmm. But if you're consistent, they start to learn, oh, here's the robot. Okay, this is going nowhere until I do what the robot says. So it's worth trying to um, really stick with it. And, you know, the, the great example for when you need your robot is when it's bedtime and kids are putzing around and delay, mm-hmm. delay, delay. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like the, you know, the classic move of the four and five-year-old, like one more story, one more, you know, and, and or, you know, not brushing their teeth. If you can slip into that space and say, when you brush your teeth, we can read stories. When you brush your teeth, we can read stories. And then, of course, they continue to dawdle, dawdle, dawdle. And then the robot can say, if you brush your teeth now, we have time for two stories. Dawdle, dawdle, dawdle. If you brush your teeth now, we have time for one story. Right. So it can stay very disengaged while giving the instructions as the kid continues to dawdle. And then when, of course, they've dawdled their way to zero stories, you say, (laughs) you know, there's no time for stories. It's time for bed. The kid loses their mind. Mm. And as a robot, you say, I'm really sorry. This is the choice you made. We'll try again tomorrow night. But to just try to not feed their behavior 
with energy. Like the robot is the opposite of energy. The robot is just issuing instructions, no energy. That is really hard. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what you're telling me right now is pretty much the opposite of what I've been doing with my children. (laughs) And you don't have to do it all the time. You know, it's just, um, yeah, it's really hard. I think it's it's really hard to do. The other part that's hard, and I remember having toddlers, is when they're behaving is when we tend to disengage. You know, so when they finally settle down, you're like, oh, thank goodness, I can go check my email. Yes. And and so, and that's okay. You don't have to be, you know, on point with this all of the time. But it's good to use this model when things aren't going well because what it makes you realize is we've got this lever. We've got our attention. When kids are doing the right thing, we need to shower some positive, glowing, warm human joy on that so that they want to do more of that. And when they are off track, we want to issue instructions for getting back on track. You know, a while back, a few episodes back, we we talked about three nagers. <laughs> and the behavior you're talking about so much reminds me of three nagers. Oh, my Lord. Okay, so three, three-year-olds. We, I remember what I said. Cutest things, cutest things, absolutely adorable really hard, really hard to raise. And um, and I promised to get back to it. So I'm glad you've brought it up. Okay, so here's the deal. So let's actually start with two-year-olds. Two-year-olds are exhausting. Everybody talks about it. They're exhausting because they're trying to figure out how the whole world works. To them, it's a giant machine with a whole bunch of levers and buttons and you know things you can turn. And they're trying to figure out what happens when I pull this lever. Oh, okay, so what if I, if I, um, run the water in the bath and start to splash, splash, splash all around. Okay, I'm pulling that lever. Okay, you clearly don't like that. Okay, good to know. Um, when I'm adorable and cute and sweet, you like that. Okay, good to know. So they're always measuring the world. They're always, you know, they're, they're, um, they're reaching to pull the dog's tail and they can see that that's not okay. All right, they, don't, they, don't, they didn't know that. They're dumping out the rice. They can see that's not okay. Okay, now they know that. But that's what's so tiring is that you're having to constantly um, help them understand the machine of the world. Three-year-olds have started to understand the machine. And to three-year-olds, their idea of a good time is making the grown-ups mad. <laughs> That's so and true. And nobody tells you this, right? Everybody's nobody like, tells oh, you this. terrible twos, terrible twos. Yeah. And then you have your three-year-old who is dumping out the rice with a twinkle in his so eye. So true. And what parents' experience is, is that their two-year-old is tiring. Their three-year-old is, I'm going to use a heavy-duty word, enraging. It is like there is something about mm. knowing, like the kid is actually jerking my chain with this behavior. And parents feel so angry with their three-year-olds. And then they think, I thought it was supposed to be easier. Like, why is this year harder? And then they think, what's wrong with us? <laughs> so, and so I am on this like mission to help people understand that three-year-olds are really hard because they add a twist to the misbehavior. Uh, gosh, I wish I knew this when I had three nagers. I know. I know. It was so funny. I'll tell you how I learned it. Actually, the story cracks me up. It was before I had kids. I was doing some training. I I had my PhD, but I was doing some additional training with some older women, and they were older just because of their uh, where they stood generationally, who had been trained by Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud's daughter. So these really, you know, like they'd been psychoanalysts for years. They were brilliant. They were, but they were, um, you know, all in their mid to late 70s and um, British. And, and I remember in class, one of them was like, and then there is the sadism in the three-year-old. And I was like, what? Did you just call a three-year-old sadistic? And I was like, that seems really a little bit over the top. 
And then I think it was the next night, and I I was not a mom yet. I went out to dinner with my husband, and we were um, in a in a restaurant, and there was a girl who I'm sure was three in these cute little pigtails, and she was running around the restaurant, and she was running at the precise speed where her father, who was trying to get her under control, following her around the restaurant. In order to catch her, he was going to have to break into a run to catch her. And he did not want to break into a run in this restaurant. So he's doing this super mad, angry walk. You know, I can see like steam coming out of his ears and, you know, trying to get this kid under control in the restaurant. And this three-year-old girl is looking over her shoulder, Hmm. cackling at him. (laughs) And I was like, oh, oh my Lord, there it is. Like, there's the sadism in the three-year-old, like right there. It was amazing. That's a great story. (laughs) So Lisa, what do you do? Like, What's your overall advice in dealing with three-year-olds? So the thing that really works is to call them on the carpet. Um, and the way we do that is we say, you're having mean fun. You're having fun. Mean fun. Make, mean fun. You're having fun making me angry. I don't do mean fun. And then you basically go back to that robot model and you say, when you're ready to have fun, fun, I will be in the kitchen with crayons. I will be ready to play go fish. I will be you know, ready to make banana bread, but I won't do mean fun. And really um, call it what it is and um, tell them when you're going to be ready to engage. And and this often works quite well with three-year-olds. They're often a little bit like, oh, you get it, don't you? <laughs> you can see on their faces that yeah. that they know they've been busted. Um, but it's it's a great way, exa- again, to, to get at that idea of what we will and won't engage. So I won't engage you in mean fun. I will engage you in fun fun. And of course, I mean, sometimes it means you have to actually break into a run, scoop the kid up mm. in the restaurant, you know, have them sit on your lap while you get things under control. They may be very angry, but to the degree that the parent can keep their cool, not respond with a whole lot of energy, even while keeping a kid under control, and then save the energy for when the kid's on track, kids start to figure this out. Wow. I just don't think as three-year-olds is rational. That was always my thought. Like one to three, they don't get it. You can't really talk to them. But you're saying you can actually talk to them and they'll get it. Three-year-olds get it. They know what they're doing. Um, Or certainly they know, they recognize what you're saying when you say you're having mean fun and I don't have fun like that. You know, I don't have fun. You know, you making me mad is not my idea of fun. Mm -hmm. But here is my idea of fun. And then give them some options. Mm. I have to say, I love the piece that you had in the New York Times. It's your open letter to teens talking about this period. Really, um, I enjoy reading them every month. Tell us a little bit more about it. And and how did you come to this idea to do this? So um, I've never written directly to teens before, and now I want to do that all the time. But um, what happened is that my August column in The Times, I wrote it as a back-to-school checklist for parents for teens' emotional well-being for 2020. And in the comments on that column, a whole bunch of teens were like, uh, why don't you just write to us? <laughs> and I thought, oh, interesting. Of course they're right. This is why I love teens. They're, they're always kind of like on the mark, I think. And so for September, I wrote a column called Dear Teenagers, Here's How to Protect Your Emotional Well-Being. And it was really fun to write. And I, I hope they find it useful. It is. It's really a great read for everybody. Even if you don't have a teen, I think it's, it's just helpful to know and understand, um, you know, we talk about, particularly in these uncertain times, that every week we want to plug a charity um, that might give us a chance to give back. And you always talk about the importance of that and how that helps people in processing. And this week, we're going to feature a charity called Children's Hope India. 
It's a charity that was started by a group of Indian moms in their kitchen years and years ago. And it's to help underprivileged kids in India get educated, kids who are ignored by society, don't Mm -hmm. have parents in many cases, really, really poor kids. Mm -hmm. And they are doing incredible work. I actually work with them. I've worked with them for several years. It's an organization I really believe in personally. And I love how it started organically. I think in these times, if you've got an idea or a way to help people, you should go for it. And I love that these moms did that. Um, Were they moms living in the U.S.? They were moms living in the U.S., in New York. Some are doctors, some are writers. They just all banded together and wanted to help because they felt that these children in India are being ignored and they're helping to feed kids during COVID. You know, the COVID rates in India are just skyrocketing. Mm. They've provided emergency relief and they also focus on education. I feel a lot of people feel, you know, has her standing in the world changed, especially with COVID and our high... Uh, rates of COVID here in America. But this is sort of a way to reach out, help another country. And I can't say enough good things about this organization. So it's called childrenshopeindia.org. And take a look, uh, Chef Anand, who's a great chef in in New York City and also helping with restaurants in New York, uh, is also involved. We just had the charity gala this weekend. But check it out, childrenshopeindia.org. I know they can sure would love your support, um, but it's also a great way to, to get educated about other charities out there as well, Lisa. Wonderful, wonderful. I love that idea, that giving back. So tell us, before we close it out, what's your parenting to go? I'm going to keep my parenting to go very much in the theme of what we've talked about, which is that we have kids for lots of reasons, but one of them is to enjoy them. And we should definitely even under COVID, go out of our way to come up with creative forms of fun together and to get their input on what would be fun. And we should do it really for two reasons. One, because we all need fun right now and kids are fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the other is that we just always want to be building that account and always want to be putting money in that bank of our relationship with our kid because it will make things easier going forward. You know, I think of my inner tiger mom and how important it is. You got to get disciplined. You got to have school. You got to do these sports. But to hear you say that creating that environment of fun could be a great way, uh, just in general, to build currency in the bank, I, I just think that's so important. I, I've never thought of it that way. That how important that is, especially. Yeah. Well, we've talked in the past about warmth and structure. And I hadn't thought about this till just now, but the warmth actually is part of how you keep a structure. Mm. That having, that it it feels good, it's nice to be together, also then helps kids follow rules because they want it to feel good and be nice to be together. We're a big fan of Friday night movie nights at home. Awesome. Yeah, bingo nights. Awesome. The kids love that, Uh, they're at that age, but. uh, You're putting money in the bank. Money in the bank, never thought of it that way, now I do. Uh, Thank you so much, Lisa. You bet. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. 
If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.